the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Thursday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Later this program, we'll talk with Patty Garibay. She is the founder and the director of American Heritage Girls. We'll talk about navigating girls going back to school and what American Heritage Girls have to offer and some of the challenges they face. That's coming up in the second hour of today's program. James Blend is producing Dave King Engineering, Pedro Bartz producing and engineering in our Seattle station as well. Well, a California judge suggested some parents pose a clear and present danger to LGBTQ students in a ruling Wednesday against a Southern California school district. San Bernardino County Superior Court Judge Thomas Garza, he blocked a Chino Valley Unified School District's newly passed parental notification policy. So the clear and present danger is that parents would be informed about the status of their sons and daughters. So they uh, passed a parental notification policy which required staff to inform parents if a student identified as transgender. The temporary restraining order was issued in response to California Attorney General Bob Bonta's lawsuit against the district over the notification policy. Well, during the hearing, the judge reportedly compared students changing gender to changing their religion. Of course, there's no surgical procedure involved. There are no drugs involved. Uh, Let's say that a student, the judge said, were raised under one religion, then decides to change that religion to their own at whatever age, he said, according to the Washington Free Beacon. With that in mind, whatever the class of protected students are, students are students. Whatever makeup they may uh, comprise, it strikes me that you are singling out a group that is exposed to a clear and present danger. Again, mom and dad. Now, what we're talking about is parents being told We're not talking about them being sent to re-education camps. We're talking about parents being told about what's happening to their sons and daughters for whom they are legally and financially responsible. Reporters at the hearing said the judge admitted he hadn't fully read the school district's argument in defense of its pro-parent policy, and he didn't understand its purpose for advancing the educational pursuits of students. Real Clear Politics' Susan Crabtree Crab shared the judge uh, admitted he had not fully read the district's arguments against the restraining order, but said the issue is how do we safeguard students identifying as LGBTQ+. He also argued that there is a clear and present danger posed by some parents. Uh, the state's attorney general had objected to the policy, arguing it unconstitutionally discriminates against LGBTQ students and violates their privacy rights. So, again, we're talking about telling a parent, which apparently is one of the most dangerous things you can do. Now, you can tell them about everything else. And, of course, they are required to offer their consent for any number of lesser things. But this thing in particular, parents are to be feared. Well, the city of Huntington Beach, California, voted Wednesday to ban universal mask and vaccine mandates for COVID-19. The matter was submitted by Mayor Pro Tem Gracie Vandermark and included on the city's agenda on Tuesday. Well, Vandermark said mask mandates imposed in the city's unnecessarily limited 
uh, unnecessarily limited the freedoms of the citizens of Huntington Beach, even those who were not around uh, anyone who tested positive for COVID-19 or at risk of any exposure. Well, the declaration narrowly passed with the city council voting four to three before adjoining uh, around 248. The bill will apply to city officials and not private businesses. Individuals, whether at city hall or in the private sector, should have a right to choose whether to wear a mask or get vaccinated or boosted, the motion said. The ban comes with a slight uptick in COVID cases in the city and the panic that is attendant. Huntington Beach, approximately an hour's drive from uh, south of Los Angeles, was largely defiant of statewide mask mandates throughout the pandemic, running contrary to the state's draconian measures. More broadly, the city has for decades been a conservative bastion for people whose gripes go far beyond the state's response to the pandemic. Well, the Florida Supreme Court will hear oral arguments tomorrow in Planned Parenthood of Southwest and Central Florida et al. versus State of Florida et al. regarding the 15-week abortion ban, which prohibits all abortions after 15 weeks of gestation. The oral arguments will live stream, by the way. Well, on the 14th of April of last year, Governor Ron DeSantis signed House Bill 5, known as the Reducing Fetal and Infant Mortality Act, to protect the lives of Florida's most vulnerable by prohibiting all abortions after 15 weeks of gestation. Florida's Planned Parenthood affiliates and a group of independent reproductive health providers, reproductive health, that's such a misnomer, but I'm quoting, uh, sued the state on the 1st of June last year. The complaint alleges that the 15-week ban violates a right to privacy within the Florida Constitution. Liberty Council filed an amicus brief to the state's high court on behalf of Frederick Douglass Foundation, the National Hispanic Christian Leadership Conference, Fiona Jackson Center for Pregnancy and Issues for Life Foundation, in defense of Florida's 15-week abortion ban, since the Florida Constitution affirms the right to enjoy and defend life regardless of race, religion, national origin, or physical disability. Well, in addition, Liberty Council uh, Action filed an amicus brief to the Florida Supreme Court in Planned Parenthood of Southwest and Central Florida et al. and state of um, versus state of Florida, requesting that the um, Henry T.W. decision issued by an activist court in 1989 be overturned and the original intent of Article 1, Section 23 be restored so as not to recognize a right to kill preborn babies by abortion. Before the Florida Supreme Court is a 15-week abortion ban passed by the legislature uh, last year, like the 15-week abortion ban that uh, went into the went to rather the U.S. Supreme Court and resulted in the overturning of Roe v.ersus Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey, the Florida case could follow a similar result. We will certainly follow it and try to keep you updated on what happened. A bit closer to home here in the Pacific Northwest to send a to a, re, a message to residents, the state um, and state lawmakers in Oregon, amid a spiraling drug crisis and rampant homelessness, the City Council of Portland voted unanimously today to approve, or rather yesterday, to approve an emergency ordinance banning the use of hard drugs in public. Yeah, we had to have an ordinance for that. Common sense no longer prevails. We'll tell you more about it when we return. We do need to take a quick break. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Well, the Portland City Council approved an emergency ordinance today, or actually yesterday, banning public hard drug use. 
The emergency ordinance amends the city code that already prohibits the open consumption of alcohol and marijuana in places like public parks and on sidewalks to also include hard drugs like heroin, fentanyl and methamphetamines. But the vote was mostly symbolic because Measure 110 passed by a majority of people who actually voted in the state of Oregon. The ballot initiative approved in 2020 that decriminalized users, um, user amounts of street drugs like heroin, fentanyl and methamphetamines. uh, And that forbids local governments from regulating their use means, well, it's mostly symbolic. State lawmakers would have to change the law for Portland to act on its ordinance. So all for show. Mayor Ted Wheeler had floated a similar crackdown on public use of hard drugs over the summer, but temporarily backed down at the start of uh, Wednesday afternoon's meeting. He said he hoped the council's actions would inspire state lawmakers to take the drug crisis seriously. Well, we'll see what happens. If you want to know why it's important for you to vote, this is uh, one good reason. Common sense does not always prevail, especially when there's low voter turnout. Well, a new excavation project in Jerusalem has unearthed steps unseen in over 2,000 years at a place where the New Testament records Jesus as having healed a blind man. The Israeli Antiquities Authority, the Israel National Parks Authority, and the City of David Foundation early this year announced that the Pool of Siloam, a biblical site cherished by Christians and Jews, will be open to the public for the first time in 2,000 years in the near future. In recent weeks, archaeologists achieved significant progress in the excavation, unearthing some eight steps descending into the pool, which had not been seen in 2,000 years, around the time when Jesus walked the earth. The ongoing excavation, rather, within the city of David, the historic site of biblical Jerusalem, particularly of the Pool of Siloam and the uh, Pilgrimage Road, serve as one of the greatest affirmations of uh, that heritage and the millennia-old bond between Jews and Christians uh, in Jerusalem. Well, Bill Maher scolded an MSNBC host who called Trump supporters at odds with reality, Retorting, there's a lot of crazy on the left, too. Well, the liberal comedian was a guest on MSNBC's uh, The Beat with Ari Melber on Wednesday when Melber commented on the difference in reactions between Trump's base and normal reality adjusted people's persons in Georgia's election interference hearings against Donald Trump. Lamar pushed back against Melber's dig at the former president's supporters. I got to stop you and say, I don't think this helps the media world that we live in where we sit here and everybody else is just a deplorable whose um, whose reality challenged. He responded. The liberal host defended himself, saying he didn't call anyone deplorable, although that's what he meant, but argued there was a difference between those against sedition and those who weren't. Of course, you'd have to accept sedition, but that's another subject for another day. Voicing agreement with Melber on that point, Marr reiterated his belief that the liberal media uh, took no effort to understand the other side. They, Trump supporters, see him as the one thing that is standing between them and something even crazier. And there is a lot of crazy on the left, he retorted. Marr implored MSNBC viewers to try to understand why half the country still supports the former president. Sort of a novel idea. Well, intolerance for free speech at the nation's colleges has increased, while students' tolerance of using violence to stop free speech has increased. 
That's according to a survey of U.S. colleges released today. The Foundation for Individual Rights and Expressions, or FIRE, their 2024 college free speech rankings, study conducted uh, on the 13th of January through the 30th of June this year by College Pulse, ranks the free speech cultures of 248 of America's largest and most prestigious campuses, incorporating survey responses from more than 55,000 current students. The rankings rely heavily on student responses and on how schools responded to um, deplatforming attempts, which seek to prevent speakers from expressing themselves. Each school's speech code rating also factored into the scoring. Each year, the climate on college campuses grows more inhospitable to free speech, the fire director uh, said in a release announcing the survey results. Some of the most prestigious universities in our country have the most repressive administrations. Students should know that a college degree at certain schools may come at the expense of their free speech rights, end quote. Of the 248 schools, Michigan Tech ranks the most supportive of free speech. Harvard ranks, ranks rather dead last with the lowest possible score, 0.0. Harvard is the only school with a speech climate rating of abysmal. Harvard ranked especially low in the comfort expressing ideas and disruptive conduct categories. Many students self-censor themselves out of fear of reprisal, Fires Relief uh, release noted. Self-censorship is pervasive across the board. More than a quarter of students, 26 percent, said they censor themselves at least a few times a week in conversations with friends. And 25 percent say they were more likely to self-censor now at the time of responding to the survey than they were when starting college. More than half of students say they're worried they'll damage their reputation. Uh, someone uh, someone because someone misinterprets what they say. They say the most difficult topics to discuss on campus are abortion, gun control, racial inequality and transgender rights. And while 37 percent of students say they're that using violence to stop a campus speech is never acceptable, that number is down from 80 percent last year. At Oberlin College, only about 53 percent rather of students say that violence is never acceptable. Students are also much more tolerant of liberal speech than they are of conservative speech. No surprise there. Up to 72 percent of students oppose allowing a conservative speaker on campus at all. Uh, depending on the topic, while up to 43% of students oppose allowing a liberal speaker on campus. The top 10 colleges for free speech at number one, Michigan Technological University, Auburn University, University of New Hampshire, Oregon State University, Florida State University, University of Virginia, Texas A&M, George Mason University, University of North Carolina at Greensboro, and University of Colorado Boulder. The 10 worst colleges for free speech? University of Texas, Austin, Dartmouth College, um, Northwestern University, Skidmore College, Fordham University, Georgetown University, University of South Carolina, University of Pennsylvania, and Harvard University. Senator J.D. Vance introduced legislation on Tuesday that aims to prohibit federal mask mandates from being imposed once again in the U.S., The Freedom to Breathe Act would apply through the end of 2024 and would prohibit any federal official, including the president, from issuing mask mandates applying to domestic air travel, public transit systems or primary, secondary and post-secondary schools. 
according to the uh, Ohio senator's office. We tried mask mandates once in this country, he said. They failed to control the spread of respiratory viruses, violated basic bodily freedom, and set our fellow citizens against one another, the Republican said in a statement. This legislation will ensure that no federal bureaucracy, no commercial airline, and no public school can impose the misguided policies of the past. Democrats say they're not going to bring back mask mandates. We're going to hold them to their word, he added. He was elected to the Senate in November of 22. Well, the senator's office also noted that the Freedom to Breathe Act would also prohibit air carriers, transit authorities and educational institutions from refusing service to individuals who choose not to wear a mask. Well, on Thursday, the first term senator uh, requested unanimous consent on his Freedom to Breathe Act. COVID mask mandates were cruel and impositions on school kids with resulting educational and emotional deficits that will burden them for years to come. Roger Severino, vice president of domestic policy at the Heritage Foundation, said in a Wednesday tweet, unscientific authoritarian policies created a near permanent uh, fell behind generation. Never again, Severino said the same day. Senator Rand Paul said we should never put our kids back into masks during an interview So President Joe Biden will be masking and socially distancing all day long. And now a D.C. area elementary school just uh, brought back the mask after three kids tested positive. Jesse Waters said, Senator Rand Paul, what's the uh, uh, feeling like over there in Washington now? It's a crime against children. Well, there's some controversy over the president who is apparently not wearing his mask after having been tested several times. But. Um, flaunting the CDC guidelines, perhaps setting the example for the rest of the country. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're going to take a quick break, but we will continue in just a few moments. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, on January 20th, 2021, the average price for a gallon of gas in the U.S. was $2.39. Well, maybe not here in the Pacific Northwest. Today, it's $3.80. Well, maybe not here in the Pacific Northwest. The highest seasonal level in a decade, albeit down from June of 22, a record of $5.02. Well, that's more like it. We routinely pick that 2021 date because it was the day that Joe Biden was inaugurated. It was also the day he set about to destroy the energy independence uh, that had been worked so hard to achieve. Okay, that wasn't quite right. We'll just leave it there. On Wednesday, Biden announced his latest volley in the war on fossil fuels. Okay, we're back on track. From canceling the uh, Keystone Pipeline to limiting drilling permits to subsidizing and mandating electric vehicles, the president has governed to the hard left. To be fair, he also campaigned that way, saying no more drilling on the federal lands, period, period, period. He pledged to achieve the Green New Deal vision to end fossil fuels. In reality, this uh, dystopian vision has exacerbated rampant inflation. But that's another story. The Arctic National Wildlife Refuge is a massive wilderness area in northern Alaska managed by the Interior Department, but it holds billions of barrels of oil as well as the possibility of $40 billion in economic activity and 77,000 jobs. Well, after congressional legislation authorized it, the former President Trump, he opened the area to drilling and held a sale on leases in January of 21. The oil and gas industry largely failed to embrace the 2021 lease sale scoffed NBC News, which generated just $14 million in high bids, mostly from AIDEA, the Alaska Industrial Development and Export Authority. Well, that seems pretty uh, clear. 
Trump had just lost the 2020 election and oil companies aren't run by fools. They knew that Biden would yank those permits long before oil could actually be extracted. Indeed, the president, Biden, he suspended the seven leases later in 2021 and has now officially canceled them, along with banning drilling anywhere on more than 40 percent of National Petroleum Reserve lands. After angering many climate cultists with his uh, March approval of the Willow Project, another drilling effort in northern Alaska, the president had to signal that he still true uh, to his beliefs. Well, Alaska Senator Lisa Murkowski is sometimes rumored to be a Republican, and in this case, she sounded very much like one. It just um, kind of sends a signal that when it comes to Alaska, it depends on the whim of an administration, Murkowski said of Biden's move. She added, these decisions are illegal, reckless, defy all common sense, and are the latest signs of an incoherent energy policy from President Biden, end quote. Well, administration policy is definitely not conducive to Basic good business practices, never mind energy independence or doing what's best for the American people. But that aside, no business, oil companies included, can possibly invest in big projects when there are such drastic pendulums swinging between administrations. The uh, con- uh, constant barrage of government regulation, changes in, and whipsaws tell investors that Alaska is not a place to do business. That's what the Alaska Oil and Gas Association president, Kara Moriarty, said. That makes no sense because Alaska has high environmental standards and some of the lowest emissions in the country. The Heritage Foundation's Jack Spencer added, The American gas and oil industry has a strong record working along Alaska's coastal plain, having safety, safely produced around 18 billion barrels of oil since production began at the Prodho Bay in 1977. Well, regardless of such pesky facts, um, it's um, Democrats have become so rapidly cultish about climate change that fossil fuels and the oil companies that extract them are among their favorite boogeymen. Doesn't matter that we're not there yet to use some alternative if ever we can depend solely on them. Biden practically said as much in a statement as the climate crisis warms. The Arctic more and more than twice as fast as the rest of the world. We have a responsibility to protect this treasured region for all ages. Canceling all remaining oil and gas leases issued under the previous administration in the Arctic Refuge and protecting more than 13 million acres in the Western Arctic will help preserve our Arctic lands and wildlife while honoring the culture, history and enduring wisdom of Alaska natives who have lived on these lands since time immemorial. Well, funny, but he didn't mention that it's also Bidenomics, which is the practice of driving up prices as high as possible in service of a radical agenda. Now, we don't want to overstate the consequences of canceling one batch of leases. This single move isn't about uh, isn't going to send gas prices back up to five dollars a gallon unless you live in certain parts of the country. And it isn't going to cripple American oil production. Yet it's part of a pattern that is accomplishing all of those things. Aside from the aforementioned pipeline and lease cancellations, the president also uh, plundered the Strategic Petroleum Reserve to help his flagging poll numbers. Not only did he, it not help his numbers, but it put the uh, SPR at its lowest level in nearly 40 years. Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm told lawmakers in March that it could take years to restock it. In August, the administration delayed restocking again as oil prices rose. The president doesn't want to uh, to be hit with his own inflation, given that uh, Brent crude is trading around $90 a barrel now, up 25% since June. 
More than once, the president went hat in hand to beg the Saudis to increase oil production in order to cover his own cuts. Well, that didn't pan out. In fact, Saudi Arabia and Russia are cutting production in part to keep prices and margins high and in part to squeeze Biden and America. Well, the president's energy policy has been a disaster for Americans in just about every way. But maybe we now know why Biden is otherwise inexplicably rather going to spend September 11th in Alaska. More on that. Well, the administration is accusing Senator Tommy Tuberville, a Republican from Alabama, of putting national security at risk with his um, holds on moving President Biden's military nominations forward. But it's refusing to consider a path that would allow some to proceed. Um, the question was posed to the administration officials. Why not call on Democratic leaders controlling the Senate to push through the nominations on a case by case basis if national security truly is at risk? Well, the idea was dismissed outright. One senior administration official said that allowing individual promotions or nominations to be voted on one at a time would set a bad precedent for future administrations and for the military in general. The official gave no indication the administration would budge on its new policy to reimburse the cost of transportation to service members or their families traveling to get an abortion, the main reason for Tuberville's hold to begin with. Well, the hold is preventing hundreds of nominations and promotions from passing by unanimous consent, a process that lets senators save time by moving them forward as a group rather than voting on each one individually. But the slower case-by-case path would allow important nominations to proceed, potentially mitigating some of the alleged harm. Well, Tuberville isn't planning to relent until the Pentagon reverses the new change on its abortion funding policy. President Biden sparked controversy across social media after he appeared to jokingly ask the audience not to tell people that he didn't wear a mask when he entered a room. Biden celebrated the signing of a contract between the International Longshore and Warehouse Union and the Pacific Maritime Association on Wednesday. Despite his wife testing positive for COVID-19 this Monday, the president appeared at the event in person and without a mask. I've been tested again today. I'm clear across the board, he declared as he walked into the room. But they keep telling me because this is uh, this has to be 10 days or something. I've got to keep wearing it. But don't tell them I don't have it on when I walked in the room, end quote. Well, earlier in the day, Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre deflected questions on the president's flagrant violation of White House COVID-19 protocols when he removed his mask to deliver remarks at Tuesday's Medal of Honor ceremony and never put it back on. The CDC guidelines that the White House said Biden would observe state that those exposed to COVID-19 must wear a mask when indoors and around other people. So the Biden's conduct sparked outrage on the Internet. Of course, just about anything sparks outrage on the Internet these days. A federal judge on Wednesday ordered Texas to remove floating buoys from the Rio Grande no later than the 15th of this month. Governor Abbott deployed the buoys in July to curb the flow of illegal migrants to the state. The plan was part of the Republican governor's broader Operation Lone Star. Texas installed the buoy barrier near the border town of Eagle Pass with Anchors um, in the riverbed, Eagle Pass is part of the Border Patrol sector that has seen the second highest number of migrant crossings this fiscal year with about 270,000 encounters, though that figure is lower than it was at this time last year. The Bowies uh, brought a swift legal challenge from the U.S. Justice Department, which accused the Texas uh, governor of putting a barrier on the international border without permission. 
President Biden's administration also said the water barrier raised humanitarian and environmental concerns. The bright orange wrecking ball sized buoys have created a water barrier longer than a soccer field on a stretch of river where migrants often try crossing from Mexico. Texas also installed razor wire and steel fencing on the border while also empowering armed officers to arrest migrants on trespassing charges. Abbott said his administration planned to appeal the decision by the U.S. District Judge David Ezra. Well, Georgia's uh, Republican Secretary of State wrote an opinion piece decrying those who wish to bar the former president from running in the 2024 election. We'll tell you about that when we return, but we need to take a quick break. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Also coming up in the next hour, Patty Garibay. She's the uh, founder and director of American Heritage Girls. So stay with us. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in our second hour, a conversation with Patty Garibay. She's the founder and director of American Heritage Girls. We'll talk about navigating going back to school for girls, fear of failure and stress, as well as American Heritage Girls and how you can come alongside this great ministry to young girls. Well, the world's leading digital dictionary announced that it added several terms related to the LGBTQ community and progressive politics this week. Among the 566 new words added to Dictionary.com this year were polysexual and amalgagender. The massive English language database defined polysexual as the an adjective noting or relating to a person who is sexually attracted to people of various genders, but not necessarily to people of all genders. Okay, uh, the entry for amalga gender defined uh, defined it as an adjective noting or relating to a person whose gender identity is linked to or impacted by the fact that they are intersex to further clarify the definition for intersex read noting or relating to a person, animal or plant having reproductive organs, hormones and chromosomal patterns that do not fall under typical definitions of male or female. Other words added to the site this year included pop culture references and other terms related to identity and relationships. Kelly said that these new progressives, and he's the director of uh, Dictionary.com, these new uh, terms meet the four criteria that the site uses to determine what is added to it. Detailing these criteria, he said they ask the following questions. Is it widely used? Does it have shared meaning? Does it demonstrate staying power? And is it going to be a useful tool for the general audience. Oh, I hope not. In addition to the inclusion of more than 500 words, Dictionary.com revised the definition of over 2,000 existing words, with 400 of them updated to replace or remove gendered pronouns. Whether we like it or not, whether we agree with it or not, whether it's our personal view or not, it's our job to be a service to the people to capture that language as objectively as possible, he went on to say. The outlet pointed out that last year, Dictionary.com added entries um, for a number of uh, subjects as well. Wow. Well, in September, gas prices reached their highest level in over 10 years. Gas prices hit the highest level for early September in over a decade, igniting fears that inflation could rise again and giving Republicans more fodder to hit the president on fuel costs as he heads into an election year. National gas prices reached $3.81 a gallon on Tuesday. Would that they were that here. Topping the average for around the same time last year and marking the highest figure for the date in over a decade. Well, President Xi 
Uh, he's being chastised by his communist elders on the state of the country. I wasn't sure that uh, President Xi could be chastised by anyone. But there are signs of turmoil in the Chinese domestic politics. On Monday, it was announced that President Xi Jinping will not attend the upcoming summit on the group of 20 major ec- economies in India, as long as it's still named India. Premier Li King will be uh, taking his place. This will be the first time that Xi has skipped a G20 summit, to which um, he has consistently attached importance as China's top leader. A precursor Cursor seems to have been this summer's uh, annual get-together of incumbent and retired leaders of the Chinese Communist Party at the seaside resort in um, Hebei province. Well, sources said that at this year's gathering, a group of retired party elders reprimanded the top leader in ways they hadn't until now. Xi later expressed his frustration to his closest aides. China today is not in the best of shape. Its economy is receding in ways unseen since reform and opening up began in the late 70s. The real estate sector is in shambles, symbolized by the struggles of major developer Evergrande uh, Group. The youth unemployment rate is deteriorated to such an extent that Chinese authorities this summer stopped releasing figures and the military is mired in commotion in the wake of two top rocket force generals being purged. Hmm. So not all is well in our uh, closest rival. More Georgia Rico charges. Atlanta, Georgia is not Portland, Oregon in more ways than the mere difference in geographic location. On Tuesday, Georgia Attorney General Chris Carr indicted 61 individuals uh, associated with the domestic terrorism organization known as Antifa. Well, Carr charged these um, thugs with violations of the Racketeering Influenced and Corruption Organizations Act over their involvement in various violent acts meant to prevent the city of Atlanta from building a police uh, training center in a forested area in DeKalb County. Well, following the indictments, Carr warned, looking the other way when violence occurs is not an option in Georgia. If you come to our state and shoot a police officer, throw Molotov cocktails um, a law enf- at law enforcement, set fire to police vehicles, damage construction equipment, vandalize private homes and businesses and terrorize their occupants. You can and will be held accountable. It is a novel idea, says this Portland resident. Most of these individuals are not from Georgia and are not members uh, rather and are members of an Antifa group dubbed the Defend the Atlanta Forest Movement that formed in the summer of 2020 following the death of George Floyd. Any excuse, apparently. They have been linked to more than 200 criminal acts since July of 2020. Meanwhile, New York City Mayor Adams is sick and tired. The New York City mayor is clearly sick and tired of dealing with the migrants crisis. I don't see an ending to this, he lamented at a town hall event uh, yesterday. This issue will destroy New York City, destroy New York City, he said again. Adams blasted Joe Biden for not providing support, but he stopped short of calling on the president to close the open southern border. Rather, Adams blamed Texas Governor Greg Abbott, calling him a madman for busing illegal aliens to New York. Yet Adams conveniently ignored the reason because uh, behind the busing, New York's self-appointed sanctuary designation. Abbott uh, didn't put up with the uh, uh, illegals welcome here since the New York uh, since in New York City. That was done by the Empire State's Democratic leadership. Uh, So, again, falling short of holding the one responsible accountable. The EPA delayed uh, new ozone pollution standards for businesses until after the 2024 election. I'm sure politics has nothing to do with it. The antitrust case of the century. What to expect as the Justice's Department versus Google case begins? We'll tell you more about that 
in the days ahead. By the way, on this day in history, 1940, Nazi Germany begins its initial blitz on London during World War II. 1963, the National Professional Football Hall of Fame is dedicated in Canton, Ohio. 1972, the International Olympic Committee bans Vince Matthews and Wayne Collette of the U.S. from further competition for talking to each other on the victory stand in Munich during the playing of the Star Spangled Banner after winning the gold and silver medals in the 400-meter run. Banned for life. 1979, boy, we've certainly come a long way. 1979, the entertainment and sports programming network ESPN makes its debut on cable TV. 1996, rapper Tupac Shakur is shot and mortally wounded on the Las Vegas Strip. He would die six days later. 2008, troubled mortgage giants Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac are placed in government conservatorship. And finally, on this day in history, 2017, Equifax announces a cybersecurity breach that exposed the personal information of 147 million people. Well, coming up after news and traffic here at the top of the hour, we'll have a conversation with Patty Garibay. She's with the American Heritage Girls. In fact, she's the founder and director of the organization. Uh, There are chapters all over the United States and in 15 countries around the globe. She's going to talk about navigating uh, back to school and some of the specific stressors that girls face. Uh, The fear of failure matching up to that airbrushed image that girls are supposed to uh, follow, whether it's physical or in any other way. She'll be joining us to talk about that. And for our final segment here in the Portland area, we'll talk about Putin's war on hunger and a a genocide that's taking place among Armenian Christians. We'll tell you more about that. You can, by the way, go to the Georgine Rice Show Facebook page and find the... uh, podcast if you like to hear that latter part of the show and you're in the seattle area all right news and traffic up next you're listening to the georgine rice show podcast is aired on 93.9 kpdq hey welcome back you're listening to the second hour of the georgine rice show well you know parents teachers and students they are back in school the beginning of a new school year can be stressful and for girls making new friends meeting new teachers and maybe even switching a school can be very stressful well here to talk with us about how to navigate all of that and a great resource available to every girl in, within our uh, listening audience patty garibay joins us she is the founder and executive director Director of American Heritage Girls, a national Christ-centered leadership and character development program. She's helped thousands of girls discover their true identity and purpose in Christ through American Heritage Girls' transformative programming. Prior to creating this organization, she served for 12 years as an active leader and volunteer in Girl Scouts of America. Well, in response to significant changes in the direction of the organization in 93, the course of her life changed. Well, today, American Heritage Girls Uh, Stand strong with over 52,000 members globally in all 50 states and in 15 countries through the uh, Trailblazer program. We are just delighted to uh, welcome uh, Patty Garibay to join us to talk a bit about the organization and how to help girls navigate this rather tricky season in their young lives. Thank you so much for joining us, Patty. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be with you. Well, I'm so delighted to talk with you about American Heritage Girl. And I'm thinking maybe before we start, uh, you could tell our listeners a little bit about American Heritage Girl, uh, because my guess is some are not familiar. 
That could be, very well could be. We are Christ-centered scouting for girls, and we, as you had mentioned, were created as a direct result of the changes in the Girl Scouts USA. However, we did one thing a little bit more important than all of that, and that is to become Christ-centered in all of our approach. And so our entire, the fun that we have, the faith that we have, the service that we have are all centered around Christ and a biblical worldview. We deal with issues of faith, as I mentioned, leadership, social-emotional health, outdoors, citizenship, and life skills, which really helps girls become honoring, relational, anchored in Christ, and competent, truly a woman of integrity. That is our goal, is to build women of integrity through service to God, family, community, and country. This is such an important uh, effort, given the time that we're living in and the pressure that girls are under. There are so many messages uh, that are swirling around them, beginning with, what does it mean to be a girl? They need to have some grounding and to reinforcement to what their Christian parents are teaching them as they're growing up. Absolutely. You know, identity is such a big issue these days, isn't it? And a matter of fact, as a result of all of this going on and the swirling and the confusion, we all know that confusion does not come from the Lord. He is a God of order. The confusion comes from the adversary. So what we've developed is a free download ebook for your listeners to be able to have these discussions with their daughters about gender and identity. It's called a Raising Godly Girls Guide to Gender and Identity. It helps bring Uh, discussion points to the child that are also relevant to scripture. It helps to define some of those definitions that your daughter certainly knows, but you may not. Uh, So there's, there's just that the basis is you must be informed as a parent and you want to be the first messenger of these things to your daughter rather than them hearing them from non-aligned sources, which is more often the case. In addition, Georgine, we've got some other great eBooks, one on fear and anxiety in the tackling eight stressors that affect every girl. And also what I believe is the antidote to all of this is a Raising Godly Girls Guide to Biblical Worldview. If a girl knew who Christ was and who their identity is in Christ, so many of these issues would not even be around. Now, you mentioned that you have a background in working with scouting under a different program. When they changed their approach, you uh, shifted and created this amazing organization for young girls, what, 5 to 18, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Tell us a little bit about what a girl uh, is involved in when she becomes an American Heritage girl. Well, first, you know, she... she becomes part of a community, which is really great for girls. They love to have socialization. Every girl wants a friend. Um, it also helps girls become stronger. I think that the biggest thing I hear from girls as far as transformation goes is, is, is first, I, I understand who Christ is and what, what he means in my life. Secondarily, I was so shy that I was afraid to even speak to my peers. Now I am speaking. One of, one of the girls said, I just spoke with Governor Abbott of <laughs> Texas, and I was afraid to talk to my next door neighbor. So these are the kind the transformative, you know, you can see empirically, but more importantly is what we're seeing in the hearts of these girls. And, you know, we've been around long enough, Georgina, that we're seeing the fruit of our of our labors, and, and I don't believe we deserve it, but we get to see that through our alumna and seeing what they have learned and how they have given their life to servant leadership and how they've chosen vocations that honor and glorify God. It has been an amazing, amazing trip to do, and who, you know, honestly, is never something I wanted to do, this whole thing with the Girl Scouts. I wanted Girl Scouts to remain pure like they were when I was a kiddo, but that was not the case. And sometimes we as Christians need to take action. I think first we need to try to make changes. And when that goes, you know, no way, there's no good, not going to be any changes here in this organization. It's time then to start something new. Yeah, I appreciate you're making that um, 
that reference because I think a lot of uh, women uh, went through the program either as a bluebird or a, a Girl Scout or one of these scouting programs for girls. They've shifted and sort of left a lot of families behind. But what you're talking about is an opportunity for girls all across the nation and around the globe to participate in badge programs, service projects, leadership opportunities, outdoor experiences uh, with an emphasis on Christian values and family involvement. This is a great opportunity for families who are looking for some place to plug their kids in to reinforce what they're getting at home. That is so true. And now is the time to start. You know, you can, your daughter can join at any time. She doesn't have to be five to join. She can join at any time at all. But this is the school year, and this is when we all begin our troops, and this is when things are coming together. And if this is an opportunity that you want for your daughter, you know, it's often referred to as a Christ-centered framework for adulting. Don't we all want that to be able to, not for our children to leave their faith when they go away, but rather to be transformed by their faith and also have adult skills that they're able to navigate the world and influence it for the Lord? Yeah, we have some American Heritage Girls parents right here at the station, so I have seen firsthand uh, the benefit that she has derived from being a part of this uh, this amazing uh, group of, of girls who are being mentored as Christ followers. Now, we're going to take a break in just a moment. But before we do, I want to make sure our listeners know if this sounds great to you, and I'm sure it does. You're a grandparent. You're an aunt. You're a parent. AmericanHeritageGirls.org. That's where you can find all the information that you're hearing today, and we'll refine that just a bit uh, in our next segment. But AmericanHeritageGirls.org is a great resource for parents of girls, and we'll continue our conversation on that subject momentarily. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Stay with us. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. Is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, and I am delighted that we're talking with Patty Garibay. She's the founder and executive director of American Heritage Girls. She's also the author of the book, Why Curse the Darkness?, when you can light a candle, and that's precisely what she has done uh, when she faced a, a dilemma with the organization she had previously worked with. Well, she created a new one. And with the help of uh, parents and others, uh, this organization is thriving not only in this country, but all across the globe. Now, what stresses girls out most? We live in an airbrushed era where we're expected to be perfect in every way. What stresses girls out from 5 to, to 18 today? Well, it really is a, a fear of failure or also known as perfectionism. When we think that our lives need to reflect what the social media is showing, an airbrushed mm. image, you're looking at yourself in an in a unrealistic way, one that can never be attained. And, and we can never be perfect short of salvation from the Lord anyway. So why are we struggling with this? You know, it's like laying at the foot of the cross. This is not what you are defi- defined to be, nor refined to be. Um, I think it's really important for girls to have an opportunity to fail forward, to make mistakes. You know, making mistakes, and I think we can both attest to this in our own lives, yes. we're probably the most learning times of our lives. And so if, if we have helicopter parents always keeping us from skinning our knee, knees, we will inevitably have a face plant because we don't even know what that's like. So we've got to fail forward. And AHC, American Heritage Girls Troops, are a great way to be able to fail forward and sort of laugh about it and create memories and also have great learnings from it, too. What you're describing is developing resilience and parents having another tool in their toolbox to reinforce what they are teaching them, what they're hearing in Sunday school, what they're attempting to model in their home. And we need that so desperately today. We certainly do. You know, it's 
it's unbelievable the mental health crisis that we're experiencing, particular for adolescent girls. Uh, most recently, I couldn't believe the statistic it's in 2023 that came out from the CDC, and it said that three in five high school girls say that they are persistently sad, that one in three have seriously considered suicide, and that 51% experience symptoms of depression, which we know leads to suicidal ideation. In 2021, the same U.S. General, uh, Surgeon General said that 51% increase in suicide attempts had entered emergency rooms from adolescent girls. So this is really a crisis of identity, fear, and aloneness. And even though we're more connected than ever, these girls are on their devices all the time. They're feeling lonelier than ever. So true connection is important, and we need to be intentional as parents to help our kiddos find that community and find that group of girls that they can really fail forward, be resilient, practice things, and also talk about their faith so that they can own it and no longer be just their parents' faith. Yeah, yeah. We're talking with Patty Garibay. She is the founder of American Heritage Girls. Uh, We're talking about navigating, going back to school, the stress, the fear of failure, and things that are a challenge for girls these days. And there's lots of, there are lots of voices speaking to them that are not um, encouraging them to follow Christ and to develop relationships with other like-minded girls where they're going to be um, given the opportunity to uh, have a sense of confidence and poise and grit, which is what American Heritage Girls will do, is what girls need today. Uh, You make the point that American Heritage Girls' mission is to push girls um, uh, into mastery, to, to learn and experience new things, not necessarily into perfection. Can you explain what your, your goal is as you work with girls at various levels and, and train them? Well, this is really what what educators might call experiential education, where the girls are literally doing these skills. They're not just learning about them. It's not just head knowledge, but they're doing these skills. And the way that our badges are built is that the highest form of learning is teaching another that skill that you have learned. And that's what our patriots at the highest level actually teach the younger girls the skills. And, And that has allowed them to really blossom and to have an understanding. And you know what else is cool about that is it gives them a sense of empowerment. Now, we believe that girls do have power, not because they have girl power, but because they have the power of the Holy Spirit in the girl. And because of that, they're able to do amazing things. And when they are able to set goals and through the help of the Lord, they're able to achieve them, that makes them feel like they can contribute and be part of the solution rather than the problems that they see all around them. When girls feel like they can make a difference in their life, suddenly they don't feel powerless, they don't feel alone, they don't feel fear-filled. They feel like they can be part of the antidote and the the reason for being. And that's what is beautiful about being able to have a life in Christ as a young girl. And we want girls to learn this earlier than later, like so many of us had to learn. Now talk about the different levels of American Heritage Girls and some of the, the emphasis on, for example, um, spending time outdoors, developing certain skills, and so on. How is that structured? Right. Yes. Yeah, so our youngest level is the Pathfinder level. It's ages five to six, and it's basically a pre-reader. And it focuses around our American Heritage Girl Oath, which is, I promise to love God, cherish my family, honor my country, and serve in my community. So they're learning about God. They're learning about their family. They're learning about service from the very get-go. And they're also learning about our country. And then as a tender heart, which is ages six through nine, you might consider that primary age for school for school kids. And by the way, we, we tailor our program. It is owned and operated by the church. And that's what's so beautiful. There's spiritual 
spiritual oversight. There is the ability for the church to use this as a ministry of discipleship for their families. And if they want to be an outreach, which I think every church wants to be, they will have families coming to them for this troop. So the tender hearts are ages six through nine, and they're also able to now start to earn service stars, which awards them for how much service they've given to the community and badges in all these areas of skill. We have over 320 badges sports pins, and even level awards, which are those goals that they can set, that I want to achieve this one day. And then we move up to Explorers, ages 9 through 12, which is more what you might call the tweens years, and then Pioneers, ages 12 to 14. And then our top-notch girls, our oldest girls, they are Patriots, and they are ages 14 to 18, and they're able to even earn our Pinnacle Award, which is the Stars and Stripes Award, which includes a 100-hour service project in a passion area that they believe that they may be called to, and that they're able to also recruit volunteers, fundraise, advertise, and also be able to collaboratively work together in, in, a, in a spirit of doing good to glorify the Lord. Mm. Now, we're just about out of time, but I want to give you an opportunity to tell our listeners if there's a church that would like to uh, host an American Heritage Girls uh, troop, if there are parents who'd like to volunteer, or if there are uh, adults who see this as a great opportunity for their daughters, what's the best way for them to connect with American Heritage Girls? You know, what we really, really would love is for them to visit our website, AmericanHeritageGirls.org. You'll be able to download those free resources that I, I shared earlier. You're also, we, we covet your prayers. You know, we are a mm-hmm. ministry that is fighting a really good fight. And in addition, if you're interested in starting a troop so that your church can be part of this fantastic ministry, the step-by-step process is right there. If you'd like to find a troop, there's a red button. You just put your zip code in, find the local troop in your area. If you would like to donate, of course, we're a ministry. We can always use that. If you'd like to volunteer, our volunteer of the year, Georgine, was 80 years old this year. Uh So it is never too late to volunteer and help mentor girls in the way they should go. Well, Patty, thank you so much for your resilience, your perseverance, and your leadership. Uh, And I know that our community and the church is much better off because of the effort that you and others have given. Thanks for joining us today. Oh, thank you so much. God bless you. You as well. Again, Patty Garibay is the American Heritage Girls founder. She's also an author. You can find out all you need at AmericanHeritageGirls.org. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. If you're listening from Seattle, we are out. Have a great night, and we'll see you tomorrow. If you're in Portland, stick around. We've got more to come. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. Is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. There's so much going on in the world, it's sometimes difficult to keep up. But I'm always reminded that God is sovereign over the affairs of men. He's not surprised by the events that are unfolding that may surprise us. And he, uh, he has written the end of the story, and we know what it is. Well, this uh, story uh, points to Vladimir Putin's war on hunger, and we're being told that it's part of a mass starvation strategy. Well, last week, you may have... Uh, Uh, Recall the Kremlin confirmed that Russian President Vladimir Putin was to meet with the Turkish counterpart, um, President Erdogan. They were meeting in Russia, and I believe that was this week. The purpose of the meeting, according to the Turkish ruling AK party spokesperson, is to discuss the new framework for the grain deal, which was brokered by Erdogan in July of last year and then terminated by Putin almost a year later. Well, the deal allowed Ukraine to export grain, which is vital Uh, And it's a source of food to developing nations all around the world through the Black Sea using Odessa's seaports. It may be tempting to think that Erdogan has uh, some special power.
powers to convince his fellow authoritarian to restart the deal and prevent world hunger. But that is a false expectation. Weaponizing food security to coerce Ukrainians, uh, Ukraine's president Zelensky to capitulate and compel the West to abandon Ukraine in its uh, war against Russia is part of Putin's strategy of mass starvation. Now, it's hard to imagine that's the case, but if you were a student of history, you know it's been done before. Using non-military means, even tactics that are considered barbaric by Western standards, is part of the asymmetric military strategy being used by Vladimir Putin. The strategy was uh, conceptualized gradually on Putin's orders since he came to power more than two decades ago by the Russian general staff, the brain trust of the Russian military. The goal was to offset Western superiority in conventional warfare. Putin strategists forecast that sooner or later, Russia and the United States will clash in a direct kinetic conflict over what Russia perceives as part of its strategic security perimeter, of which Ukraine is a central and integral part. Well, today, Moscow believes it's fighting a proxy war with the United States and Europe, and of course he is. And so it's employing exactly the approach that the general staff has prepared in advance. Well, having assessed the uh, Russian military couldn't compete with the United States and NATO's mechanics and tactics of warfighting, Putin's planners decided that the main target should be the adversary's mind rather than his military hardware. This is why in Ukraine, Russia has weaponized anything from winter to food to water, destroying Ukraine's critical infrastructure in order to freeze Ukrainians in winter and starve them, well, the rest of the time. Well, the official name of what has become Putin's playbook is Strategy of Indirect Action. The Russian generals borrowed heavily, albeit incorporating despotic methods, from the classic works of the British strategist, former army captain and military correspondent for the Times of London, B.H. Lydell Hart. Considered the father of the strategy of indirect action, he pointed out that the United States invention of the atomic bomb in 1945 and the hydrogen bomb in 52 helped introduce a new guerrilla type warfare in the field of military strategy. Hart believed that victory in a total war was impossible due to the threat of annihilation by nuclear weapons. So the menace of mutual suicide would prompt strategists to look for indirect ways of fighting an opponent hamstringing him in a limited war rather than clashing with him directly in all-out widespread aggression. Psychological warfare is a critical component of Russia's asymmetrical strategy. It targets not only Ukraine's armed forces and its population, but also Western, U.S. and European audiences, populations, heads of state, and decision-makers in the military, politics, and business. The goal is always to change an opponent's calculus about fighting, to demonstrate that the cost of fighting Russia will far outweigh the benefits because Russia is prepared to sustain unthinkable casualties. Think 25 million in World War II and inflict unconscionable atrocities on the adversary. Economic coercion, diplomatic pressure and subversive activities, blockades, scorched earth, sabotage are all tactics that are mentioned in the official definition of the Russian strategy of indirect action. In addition to the primary goal of crushing the adversary's will, their will to fight, its secondary aims are to isolate the opponent from its allies and prevent him from deploying forces. We've seen this in Ukraine. Well, the whole concept of indirect warfare was designed to elevate strategy over brute force in warfighting. 
Hart, whose works the uh, Russians have thoroughly studied in his classic work strategy, characterized indirect methods as the essence of strategy that endow warfare with intelligent properties that raise it above the brute application of force. Now, of course, the outcome is just as brutal, but not in quite the same way. The Russians, however, incorporated brutality as an integral part of indirect warfare. Russia has never bought into the West's concept of warfare called just war theory, which stipulates that the war should be fought according to these three principles. One, only military and industrial facilities as well as combatants can be targeted. Two, no unjust method of, or weapons can be used by combatants like torture. And three, propi- proportionality, the force used should be Proportionate to the end goal. Ends justify the means is the philosophy that has always guided Russian military science. Well, in July, the United Nations humanitarian chief Martin Griffiths, he warned that millions of people are at risk of hunger and even death in the aftermath of Moscow's withdrawal from the Black Sea grain deal. The world is anxiously waiting for the outcome of the upcoming Putin-Erdogan meeting, but Putin's decision, um, his calculus, isn't driven by compassion. He doesn't think like an American or a Westerner. Putin thinks like a Russian. And I want to distinguish not all Russians, but that particular strain, a KGB spymaster reigning over the same country as Joseph Stalin, Vladimir Lenin, and Ivan the Terrible, who killed his own son. Putin views the outcome of Ukraine as existential for Mother Russia and for him personally, starving the world to enforce his red line on Ukraine with the West is a tactic that is perfectly justified in his mindset and according to Russia's way of war. So it will be a, a matter of prayer for us that somehow God would intervene. We know that God can change the heart of a king in the same way that he can change the course of a mighty river. And as Ukrainians and the church hangs on and continues to to fight for its independence, we have weapons to wield of our own. We're not talking about the government's weapon, but the weapon on our knees when we are praying for those who are in harm's way. Well, there are three Supreme Court cases that uh, could shake up the administrative state that are coming down the pike. The major theme of the coming Supreme Court term is administrative law. Once obscure, this body of statutes gained public attention through recent cases. Lopper Bright uh, will have major implications for citizens fighting administrative agencies in courts. These three cases remind us how excessive judicial deference coupled with congressional laziness has created our all-powerful administrative state. Now, the major theme of the coming Supreme Court term is administrative law. And once uh, these statutes, rules, and cases governing the structure and conduct of the federal government's administrative agencies gain public attention through recent eye-catching cases, like the ones that downed the student loan cancellation plan and set aside the clean power plan that would have shifted the nation's power grid to all renewable energy sources. Now, three cases on the fall docket could reshape the foundations of the administrative state and the power the unelected bureaucracy has over the American people and the economy. Lopper Bright Enterprises versus Ramondo Security, uh, Ramondo Securities Exchange Commission versus Jureski and Consumer Financial Protection Bureau versus Community Financial Services of America. Now, we don't have time to go into all of them today, but we will at some future point explain what each of them is and how important they are very likely to be to confronting the administrative state in the days ahead. We're going to take a break here in just a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We will, uh, let's see, we'll have our final segment coming up in just a moment. So stay with us. Um, we'll be talking about, uh, among other things, a genocide that's taking place 
and Armenia. Christians who are in a particular area, 120,000 of them are at risk of extinction and genocide. We'll tell you more about that in just a few moments. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the final segment of The Georgine Rice Show. Well, Republican New Jersey Representative Chris Smith called on his colleagues yesterday to recognize that 120,000 Armenian Christians are facing extinction. Delay is denial, he said. He chairs the emergency congressional hearing on um, a particular community, the name of which I don't want to mispronounce, as the co-chair of the Tom Lantos Human Rights Commission, said in a statement, um, the Biden administration must say immediately that this is genocide and stop it. Well, the Capitol Hill hearing held Wednesday examined the, out, the ongoing blockade of uh, the corridor, a region between Eastern Europe and Western Asia that is referred to as the Republic of Artsakh by the Armenians. Well, the region is disputed territory that Armenia and Azerbaijan have fought over for several decades. And the Azerbaijani government has blockaded the Armenians since December of last year. Well, the Office of the United Nations High Commissioner for Human Rights has warned that Armenians face dire shortages of food, medical supplies, baby formula, fuel and more. This blockade of the 120,000 Armenian Christians is reaching a critical juncture. The Turkish journalist who was reporting and political analyst in August in an op-ed, food and medicine are running out and starvation is beginning to set in. Currently, there is no fuel. There is no fuel, which has led to a complete transportation shutdown. The Armenians of this area are thus being forced into submission to Azerbaijan through a policy of starvation. This crime... It is a crime of genocide was planned, tested and imposed by the government of Azerbaijan. That is to say, by the president who rules Azerbaijan as a dictator. Smith said in his uh, statement on Wednesday, the the congressman who met with uh, the president twice, his office said once in 2013 and again in 2014 to discuss his human rights abuses. The situation there is much more desperate now and two and a half months uh, two and a half more months of inaction raises the question whether there is within our own government any will to help. In August, when the Security Council met in special session to discuss the crisis, neither the U.S. nor any other member took this action, end quote. Well, Smith continued, meanwhile, the Azerbaijani government taunts the very people it is starving, as when President uh, uh, the president said his blockade is necessary to deal with the smuggling of cigarettes and iPhones, and Azerbaijan's ambassador to the U.N. held up photos of supposed Karabakh residents partying and enjoying the high life. Well, these, of course, were propaganda images. Smith, uh, the congressman, emphasized that the administration doesn't want this genocide to end in the deaths or ethnic cleansing of the people of this region. But that is exactly where events are headed. The Biden administration must wake up, recognize the absolutely grave responsibility it has here and focus on finding and implementing a humane solution, the congressman went on to say. And this must mean that the blockade is lifted and the people can continue to live in their ancient homeland and not be subject to violence and threats. This situation is now a three alarm fire. Now, one of the witnesses who spoke to lawmakers on Wednesday was Luis Moreno Ocampo, a former prosecutor of the International Criminal Court, who released a statement last month, early last month, warning that there is a reasonable basis to believe that a genocide is being committed against Armenians living in this region in 2023. 
There is no, uh, there are no uh, crematories and there are no machete attacks, he wrote. Starvation is the invisible genocide weapon. Without immediate dramatic change, this group of Armenians will be destroyed in a few weeks. Not a few years, not a few months, in a few weeks. Well, the International Association of Genocide Scholars condemned that blockade in February of this year, warning against the ongoing aggression against the indigenous Armenian population of the region and the risk of genocide against the Armenian population of that entity. Well, in late July, a spokesperson for Secretary of State Anthony Blinken said that um, uh, he had spoken with Azerbaijan's president and expressed deep concern for the situation in that region. Well, Secretary Blinken underscored the urgent need for free transit of commercial, humanitarian and private vehicles through the uh, corridor and emphasized the need for compromise on alternative alternative routes so humanitarian supplies can reach the population in that area. Well, Blinken spokesman Matthew Miller said the secretary stressed the need for all parties to keep up positive momentum on peace negotiations. Well, that, of course, has not happened. Now, some have expressed concerns in recent weeks that Azerbaijan is amassing troops and weapons ahead of um, a coming invasion. There's a very real chance in the coming weeks that Azerbaijan will seize the rest of this region and continue on to southern Armenia. Um, Robert Nicholson, president of the Philos a project, a Christian organization that advocates uh, for pluralism in the Near East. Russia, Turkey, and Iran will have signed off on it. He continued, and unless something changes, the U.S. will watch it all happen. Where are our leaders? Now, we don't necessarily have the power as individual listeners to appeal to our national leaders. There are other leaders who are urging them to take uh, action, immediate action, to negotiate, to do whatever is possible. But we do have access to the throne. We do have access to the sovereign of the universe. And as we remember the persecuted church, let's remember believers in Armenia. They are not unfamiliar with uh, genocide in that country. Uh, this coming, this time from uh, from Azerbaijan, remember them in prayer as though we ourselves are the victims of genocide, as though we ourselves are in an unthinkable situation that only God can change for our brothers and sisters there. Meanwhile, a fake Bible passage reportedly generated by ChatGPT about how Jesus accepts individuals um, has generated responses from Christian scholars as some media outlets have touted the passage as an example of much-needed tolerance. In July, one Reddit poster who was feeling sad, shared a fake biblical passage that he asked ChatGPT to generate about Jesus accepting certain lifestyles. Well, the quote posted in the uh, R-Trans channel by uh, the user sounded eerily like a legitimate Bible verse. You know, you can make something sound like a Bible verse. All you have to do is use some ancient-sounding language, a thee here and a thou there, even going so far as to echo the cadence of the gospel writers. And a woman whose heart was divided between spirit and body came before him. In quiet despair, she asked, Lord, I come to you estranged, for my spirit and body are not one. How shall I hope to enter the kingdom of God? The fake passage states, It goes on. Jesus looked upon her with kindness, replying, My child, blessed are those who strive for unity within themselves, for they shall know the deepest truths of my Father's creation. Be not afraid, for in the kingdom of God there is no man nor woman, as all are one in spirit. The gates of my Father's kingdom will open for those who love and are loved, for God looks not upon the body, but on the heart. 
end quote. This is the uh, so-called verse generated by chat GPT, which just uh, should be a wake up call for all of us. Do you know the scriptures? Would you recognize a fake uh, scripture if you were confronted by one? Well, this is one and chat GPT is responding to it, giving false hope to many who are looking to it rather than to the word of God for real direction and answers as to what God's heart is and his answers to those who struggle. Well, we are out of time. I do want to thank James Blend for producing, Dave King for engineering, and thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.